and and even when you're dealing with a high performing team, like one of the highest performing teams in the country, those players, whether it be a Carter or a McCaw or a Reed or a Whitelock, are just working harder than the person standing next to them and the person who they're playing against opposite. Hi guys, today I was joined on the podcast by Tabai Matson. Tabai is a former All Black who is now head coach of Harlequins. Previously to this, he has coached for the Maori All Blacks, Bath, Fiji, the Crusaders, and the Chiefs. There's a huge amount that any player or coach can learn from this, so I hope you enjoy. So you're in Newcastle at the moment. Yeah. Yeah, how is that going? It's going well. We travelled up. We've had a pretty good pre-season, but it's round one, and we're up against the Falcons at home, and uh, the weather out there is a bit drizzly. It's going to rain tomorrow, but this is English rugby. Yeah. Yeah, so I want to know a bit about like when you started coaching versus you now sort of what the biggest changes have been god that is such a tough um tough question i was doing a little bit of coaching at university like you know when you're a provincial player in new zealand you go out to schools and and so i wasn't you know i wasn't doing you know teaching at school or anything like that so i was just going out to go out and, and look after kids um and introduce them to rugby which is pretty easy in new zealand because everybody knows the game so I kind of dabbled at coaching then, but I, I didn't really think about coaching until I started playing and coaching uh, in Japan in my last couple of years professionally, and it, it, I kind of stumbled into it. So it wasn't a, a profession that I thought I was going to go into. Um, I was at the, in Japan at Yamaha, and I and they, they got rid of the coach halfway through the year, and they said, can you fill in for a year or for half a season? And so I did. Um, and then that kind of just started uh, the, the journey. Um, what's changed between now and then, I think you, you kind of your question, like I think everything's changed. I think the more you understand um, how people learn, you know, the more your your coaching changes. We, we, we ultimately coached the way we were coached. So I was really lucky because I had good coaches. You know, I, had, I was coached by Wayne Smith, Steve Hanson, Robbie Deans, a whole ream of um, uh, coaches through those my kind of early twenties and, and younger, so that was a pr- probably good starting point. Um, but then ultimately, you kind of don't know any other way, so you just kind of replicate what you were you were taught. Um, and my probably biggest journey is is around becoming a better teacher. I think ultimately we are teachers, so that that's been probably the journey for the last ten years. Mm, that was interesting. A lot of coaches I speak to like Laurie Fisher were teachers before, which I think helps. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. I think, like Laurie's from Australia, I was really lucky. I lived in Australia for four years and I did the um, their equivalent of the New Zealand level four, the Australian level four. And eight people get on it every year. So I was really lucky to get onto that course. And the first thing that jumped out at me was exactly that. The other seven people on the course were teachers. Hmm. And I wasn't. Um, I was working and um, coaching a club side. And so the you know the, the bit that when I watch them coach, it's like wow they're so polished they they can articulate things quickly and concisely and when they coach I can completely understand I had all this knowledge and a jumble in my head it wasn't great knowledge either so I just had this jumble in my head um, and so I think in Australia a lot of coaches could come out of the first fifteen this is you know like in the mid two thousands they they would quite happily take a someone who was coaching a top first fifteen. And put them into one of the professional teams, and I think that's um, that would be that that just wouldn't happen in New Zealand. Mm. It just wouldn't happen in New Zealand. So yeah, people like Laurie Fisher, some of the best coaches I work with have been Australian. Yeah, do you think that's what separates coaches the most? Is just like that human element. 
Yeah, I think the pedagogy, I think there's two bits to the, the human element. The pedagogy, which is a fancy word of like, how do I transfer information uh, well? And then the human element is like, how, how, how do you get on with people? Do you get on well with people? Can you attract people to your club? When people come and train with you, do they stay next year and do they stay the year after? Part yeah. of that will be how good your coaching and teaching is, but part of it will be, you know, do you bring energy to them? Um, do you make them feel like they're, they're valued? So there's, I think they're slightly different things, but ultimately yeah. they're about dealing with humans. So, um, and then and then, then one thing you kind of, you figure out as you go along is actually knowledge is not the answer. Like um, okay. everybody that I go to a coaching course on, either whether they're a group of first 15 coaches, um, grassroots coaches or professional coaches, but actually the level of knowledge is quite surprising. So it's actually the, the level of knowledge isn't always the, isn't, isn't the transferring for you to go up the, hmm. up the coaching ladder. Have you always have you always been good at that? Um, like dealing with people. Yeah, I think so. I think I'm. Um, yeah, that's a geez. It took me ages. I'm, I'm, I haven't even answered that. I, I think I get on well with people, and I think um, I'm innately calm. I think the Fijian. At any moment now, I just might just fall asleep under this tree. I think that actually helps in high performance environments because I don't transfer my exam, my anxiety, my anxiety on game days. On game days, on I am like I am now. Um, you know, I know that my work's already been done from Monday to Friday, and so if you see me in the change room before a game, I'm I'm pretty calm and collected. And I think that that's really important. Players feed off your energy, so if your energy's um, kind of littered with anxiety or some performance qualms it will transfer onto your players yeah do you notice the best players are able to do that as well i think ultimately the best players deal with pressure the best so you know when you look at their skill sets at the highest level there's the margin is so small that if you literally measured this top 10 versus this top 10 you you, you you couldn't tell the difference if you were testing them. Um, but ultimately, in the big moments, can they still deliver on those skill sets? And I think that is the that is definitely the difference. Yeah. And I think I've been lucky at the Crusaders and the Chiefs to deal with some of New Zealand's best players and, and the real good ones who function in the heat of the battle the best are the ones who are really calm. They have this internal fury that drives their their practice and their um, their craft, but they've actually are really calm and can get the job done no matter what's flying around them. Yeah, is there anything else maybe I don't know a bit more unusual that you notice like between all the top players at the different teams you've coached? Um, I think the common thing, the, the, the one thing they all have, like you're talking about world class players. They, they bring this um, this resource of individual effort that the people standing next to them don't have. And, and even when you're dealing with a high-performing team, like one of the highest-performing teams in the country, those players, whether it be a Carter or a McCaw or a Reed or a Whitelock, are just working harder than the person standing next to them and the person who they're playing against opposite. So that would definitely be an underpinning factor of the world-class talent. Um, that calmness, which we mentioned, it's it's different than all of them, but they ultimately can just deliver um, no matter the 
the situation. Um, and most of them have most of them have, have uh, like a unique quality in the position that they're in, um, or or like a, an outlier in some respects with the way they were brought up. Um, like Sam Whitelock, for example, won the Manawatu cross country. Like he's a six foot six all black lock, but like when he was you know a teenager, he's literally winning cross country races. So you know that 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 engine and that drive to just run and beat somebody um, is definitely one of the reasons he's such a valuable type forward in the modern game. He can yeah. get around with more rucks and stuff. So yeah, yeah. Um, what do you think has made Harlequins do so well recently? Yeah, well, I was really lucky, wasn't I? Because I joined after they won the title. So I got I got to come in and ask like dumb questions. How did you do it? How did you do it? How did you do it? Uh, and, and ultimately, it comes down to they had an amazing group of players. Uh, the coaching group was really tight. And, and I think, like I come from New Zealand, and so we love the positive game. And, and so when you watch Harlequins play, and, and Harlequins are famous even in New Zealand for being this um, unconventional London club. And so, mm. you, you know, what was pleasing for me is they, they still pride themselves on being unconventional and moving the ball. And it's harder in the modern game. It's hard It's hard with defences being fit and um, accurate now. But it's probably more the intent. And I, I think... That was a real galvanising factor for the year they won it, and even last year that the players really want to be positive. They don't want to, they don't want to buy into a um, a boring game style. Yeah, there's a lot of there's sort of like a I don't know. I feel like there's a movement in rugby at the moment where uh, defensive teams are the best. So do you feel there's sort of pressure on you to? stray away from like an attacking identity at all it's a great question yeah the answer is no it's really easy at this club because they're so aware of their dna and they want to be authentic to that so if we started to do that it would it would piss off the players and piss off the board and so it's not going to happen here which is fantastic for me um and and also it's a real interesting one like I very rarely come across players who don't want to be positive with their intent. And so game plans that challenge their skill set, that like if we do this, we can push the boundaries of, of your individual skills, the team skills. And it's I always find players that prefer to do, prefer to play like that. Um, if you're a really skilled back or a winger or whatever, and you're just told to chase kicks all day long, I think ultimately it demoralizes you, you know. And I could be wrong, lots of lots of wingers probably love chasing kicks, but I think in the long run, playing positively and and, and challenging players on the way they play to make it a little, make it harder, I think is how you get the best out of players. And that's, I think that's where the best players in the world come from. I think if you identify the best players on the planet, and you know the ten top players, they're not all defensive players. We 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 value them because of their attack. And there might be a couple of in the top ten players in the world that like they're there because they're just the best defenders on the planet. But I'd say the other eight. We we love what they do because of that X factor on attack. They bring something that carves open a defense or really dents the line in, in, in a way. I could be wrong. Hey, the great thing about our game is lots of people would disagree with me. And that's that's beautiful. That's a beautiful part of our game. Yeah. Have you ever have you ever had to sort of um change the way you coach? Because I don't know, you sort of 
you were to, like you lacked a certain area because I don't know maybe you didn't like defense as much as attack and you had to change the way you were. Um, it's it's one of those ones, isn't it? I think I was lucky because in New Zealand you end up, and and this is probably a bit of advice for any coaches is coach everything. So I I I've coached defense and attack and backs and set piece defense and breakdown. I, I've um I even for one year it was a shambles. I even coached the lineouts um for a year as well and what that gives me is a really broad um area of knowledge not a great area of knowledge but a broad area of knowledge so like so when i coach now i understand that if i'm defense coach the line out defense and and all the things that make your job easier um and so i was probably lucky in the fact that in new zealand you end up coaching a number of areas as you're coming through the ranks is there areas Sorry, your question was, you know, have I changed the way I coach because I can't coach it well for a team? I think there's so many resources now to get out there that, yeah, you can't learn something in a month. But like across a season, if you haven't coached defence before, and you can get on YouTube or you can knock up the, you know, senior coach or one of the retired coaches you respect, you can actually go and find resources around how to improve that really quickly. Yeah. Um, so my, I think the answer is no. Okay, yeah. Um, are you aware of sort of the influence that like Harlequins rugby has had on the we- on the rest of I think especially English rugby, just in terms of um like it being okay to attack now? Yeah, I, I think there was so much I, I think Bristol set the league, didn't they, a couple of years ago. So they finished top hmm. and Queens finished fourth. And I think it was that intent and that endeavor that people loved in that semi-final and then the the final against Exeter, who are another team that are really positive, hold the ball. So, you know, like for me, I, I'm hoping that rugby's moving in that in that positive direction where, you know, people want to hold on to the ball. But I but I often feel because, you know, I think I, I played my first professional game in 96. The, the law focus pendulum kind of swings towards the attack and then it swings towards the defence and then it swings back towards the attack. And, yeah, maybe at the moment it's, you know some of the laws coming in, or not the not the laws, but the focus is around, you know, cleaning. They're, they're going to be a lot harsher on people coming in on an angle and cleaning out. Well, it, it gets to the point where actually it's not worth having the ball. So if you carry the ball and you're getting penalised because someone's not quite coming in from the right angle, well mm. then it's like, well, it's actually not worth. We may as well not have the ball because now we've coughed up a penalty and this kick three points. So, um, I think there's positive intent, but a lot of it will be driven by the focus of the referees and and where the pendulum of the laws are at the moment. Um, I think ultimately, if you if you ever watched if you watched the 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 semi final and final from two years ago, and thought, wow, that's rugby, and then you watch the South Africa British Lions test matches um, in South Africa, man, that diff- it was like a different sport. So um, yeah, I, I hope it. And there were probably extreme cases where. You know, you've got one team who's attacking and they're 30 metres from the opposition try line. They're getting no traction, so they put up a contestable inside someone's 22. Mm. I'm thinking, my goodness, this is literally, there's 25 of the best players on the planet on that tour. Probably yeah. more. You could probably say 30 of the best players on the planet are on that tour. For me, that's a, like a, not great. Yeah. Hey, that was, to, be fair, to be fair, that was a, that was a wee while ago, so... I'm throwing stones at a tour that happened basically a season and a half ago. Yeah. How do you think rugby will look in uh, like 
two, three years from now? That is a great question. And we often ponder that. We often go, well, and the reason we ponder that is like, what, what type of player do we want coming out of our academy? Because the game will be different. Like the person that replaces me at Quinns might do a U-turn. Um, the way the, you know, the way the international game is played might be different. And so you got players who want to play differently. So that future casting is a really important, you know, it's an important question. And I don't know anyone has the actual answer, unless you're a lobbyist in the world rugby. But it's a really good question just to go. Well, what we do need from our academy is broad multi-skilled adaptable players and then whatever the game they can hopefully you know play yeah. play that style yeah what, what do you look for in academy players yeah pretty much that you know can they work uh, are they okay in the collisions um are they open-minded uh with regard to the way the game is played and do they have a broad skill set i think a yeah. skill set and then if they've got a little bit of athleticism, that, that always pushes them forward as well. So um, that's a pretty sweeping statement. But they've got to they've got to know how to work in like that. You you can learn how to do that. Um, that broad skill set. So they've they've got to be able to you know pass the ball and stuff. Like that. And it sounds really basic, but if they've come from a school that's been robot, they've been taught to be robots. That 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 that's actually really hard. The collision piece is really important because. I think the tackle height is only coming down. World Rugby are not going to leave the tackle height where it is. So the collision stuff is is really about safety. Effectiveness is about safety. Um, and then if they've got a little bit of athleticism, they, they'll they definitely come through the ranks. Yeah. Would you, is there anything you sort of notice about academy players who succeed versus like don't take that last step? I think there's two things. Ultimately, it's the opportunity they get. Um, I'll give you an example. Like when he was 21, he would have been 21, might have been 22, but when he was 21, uh, Gibson Park was playing for the Māori All Blacks in New Zealand, 2013, maybe 14. Mm. And he was uh, Māori. We didn't have many Māori halfbacks. So this is a team in New Zealand that gets picked because you have to be Māori to get there. So he made that he made that team, but he couldn't make a super rugby team. And I remember having conversations at the end of that tour I um, around him as a halfback. And they said, he's not going to make it. He's got no box kick. Um, and his core skills aren't great. His pass was okay, but he, he'd he head off and, you know, try and take running space that wasn't there. And ultimately, ultimately, he just hadn't played enough games. And so one of the biggest issues when we look at our academy or a, a 19, 21, 19 to 21-year-old is we're looking at guys that actually haven't played minutes. And he's a great example of a guy that couldn't make super rugby or when he did, you know, people are saying, ah, oh, he can't manage a super rugby game. Then he came to Europe, went to a really good club, one of the best clubs in Europe, if not the world, Leicester, and he just played and played and played and played and played. And now he's in his late 20s, he might be 30 now. And he's a complete player, great box kick. Like at times he can temper the game like no other half pick on the planet. Great core skills. So opportunity is the biggest thing the, the, the reason kids don't transfer is they haven't played enough rugby and that probably underpins probably one of the biggest issues in english rugby is how do we get our 18 19 20 year olds to play 25 games a year yeah um, and when you look at a marcus smith I, I my mind boggles that he was 23 and he'd already played 100 premiership games yeah that's crazy you know, so, and that and that was and that was because of like bad luck 
So the two tens in front of him get seriously injured. He gets promoted, um, does a good job. Someone else gets injured, keeps playing. And then he gets to a point where you suddenly you've played 40 games of premiership rugby. And it's like, oh, this guy's really good. Now, was he always going to be there? Probably, but he would have had to wait in behind somebody for three or four years, more, maybe longer. Hmm. Um, and so one of the biggest things is getting game time. That's why the Bucks League's so cool. Yeah. But yeah. it's good. Yeah. Um, is there anything you'd sort of change about English rugby just to get those players more time? Uh, I, I don't think I'd change anything, but I'd change the focus from just we've got to develop them through training in the gym and to mm. just get out there and play. But there's a whole crop of players in our academies now that because of COVID haven't played for a year and a half. Yeah. You know, I was talking to one of our, who's going to be a, one of the stalwarts of Quinn's and he's played 19 games in three years. And nine of those games for the first team last year were like five minutes, eight minutes, 15 minutes. So they're not yeah. really, they're not really nine games. Um. And so that's ultimately the problem is um, you just need to get out there and, and play the game and learn learn through playing. You, you, you could be super talented in 19 and you're mm. definitely going to be a pro. Like you've got all the ingredients around your mindset and skills and all of that. But if even when you're 19, you should be playing with people your age so you don't get broken. But I think the other issue is we break a lot of 19, 18, 19, 20-year-olds. So then they spend their 19 and 20 those years playing, actually being injured for long periods. So playing with your own age group is, is I think, really critical. I think of like Luke Northmore and and, and Alex Dombrant when I was coaching at Bath and I went across to watch the Archers play at Cardiff Met and, and you're watching them play week in, week out. And, you know, I think Alex Dombrant is a fantastic example around you don't need to come through an academy to be an English international. What you need to do is those those years from 18 to 21 is you get 60 games under your belt. Mm. Play 60 times. That should be your focus. Um, and I, a lot of coaches would disagree with me. Yeah. Um, why, do, why do you think there's players get broken from like 18 to 21? Well, I think there's two. Well, geez, you, you're asking me these questions that will probably come back and haunt me because I I am not a biomechanist or a, or a sports science guru. <laughs> What I do know is play with people your own age, 18, 19, 20, your body's still growing. Don't put weight on that you're not ready to put on. Often often when you're going, when you're 18, 19, you left school, you might be going to university, so now you've got a different workload, you're living somewhere different, you're playing differently. And then suddenly if you're you know playing first 15 for a couple of terms, now you're playing in Bucks League and your team's competitive and you want to like, people are saying, put on weight, put on weight. Um, and you've got, you've got so much going on and so it's just easy to break. So for me, it's like, I would prioritize playing, getting stronger, eating well, yeah. and, um, and getting your studies done, you know? And then once you've done that for a couple of years, probably your body's consolidated. You know, your tendons are a bit stronger. You, you would have thickened out a little bit. Uh, but there is an obsession to try and knock on eight, ten kilos on a kid who's, you know, 18, 19, 20. It's like, yeah, yeah. wrong and functional. Yeah. What's your favorite part of coaching? Uh, my favorite part of coaching is, I think there's two bits, is watching a team like grow and move. So I, I do know the teams that will be in the top four in the premiership at the end of the year will be the teams that have that have moved the most. 
Um, the way Quinn's got into the top four two years ago was completely different to last year, which will be different from this year. And so your ability to move a group and watch them evolve is, is really satisfying. Uh, and I just love the energy of, as a team, you know, like I, I played professionally and then I worked um, in the real world for like three years and it's different. Like being in a team, the vibe's different. It's awesome. There's banter and energy and you've got a purpose and people are sore and, um, you know, that, that, that part is so satisfying as a coach. Yeah. What's, what's your goal? Uh, yeah, well, my long-term goal is, um, like, really exciting here at Quinn's. Like, I've got an amazing board and they want to, you know, have homegrown talent. We want to, you know, become a community team. Uh, and that's an awesome kind of midterm project. That's probably three or four years in the making. We've got a great crop. Um, we've got an amazing group of, group of like 18, 19 year olds coming through. So mm. I'm going to make sure we don't break them and we get them lots of game time. And in 10 years when I'm living somewhere else in the world, looking at Quinn's, um, I'll, I'll be look, I'll look with real pride that these guys have come through on my watch. Um, so that's probably a bit, a bit of a long-term one. And, th and then this year is um, probably get a bit better. I'm doing something different. I'm, I'm coaching the breakdown this year. For Quinns, and so I want to upskill myself in there. I'm nowhere near like a top shelf premiership breakdown coach, but I hope to move that by the end of the year and yeah. then see where it takes us because that's a critical part of us having a really good attack this year. It, sound, it sounds like you just you really enjoy just the day to day uh, like process of it. Yeah, the, the the game is tough, and here in England, it's it's long. And so if you don't you don't enjoy the grind, man, you get spit out really easily. And also when you're leading in a team, and you'll know this, like if you're leading as a captain or you're one of the key uh, drivers or influence in a rugby team or you're a coach, and that includes the SNC coach, if you don't bring energy, you 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 basically – you're either bringing energy or you're taking energy. You're either bringing it or you're taking it. There's no middle ground on energy. And so um, – yeah, that's one of the things I love. I enjoy the energy of the of the the team, and I like bringing energy. So that's a really important piece of uh, enjoying enjoying the grind. Yeah, um, I want to sort of ask a few breakdown questions. So, um, what are sort of like? Are there any I don't know sort of more technical things which you're trying to sort of improve yourself on around the breakdown? Oh, I think the breakdown is the breakdown is basic, isn't it? But it's it's a bit like the tackle. The tackle is basic as well, but it's it's also really technical. See, I contradicted myself by saying that, and 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 that that is the beauty of it is actually the breakdown is what we do the most of. So whether you have the ball or you don't have the ball, if you think about all your collisions, you might just look at your tackle count and go, oh look, I made four tackles. That wasn't much. But then if you look at the breakdowns you attended and the ball carries you carried, suddenly it's like, jam, I wasn't like. 35 collisions on Saturday. That's a lot. Anytime you can not create a breakdown, so you can yeah. get there before. So before you get to the breakdown is like how efficient is your team to anticipate where other teammates are going to be? So there's this cohesion piece. Quinn's is lucky because we haven't changed our system around attack for probably three years now. And so that anticipation is, is better. The anticipation is close. So that's the first thing. If, you, if your team has played together a lot, and the system is the same, then you can actually get to breakdowns before the opposition can. That's 
like the gold standard. And then in most cases, it's actually, that would be the first thing is like, how, how do you teach someone to anticipate the breakdown quicker? And then when they do that, know they're going to the breakdown. How can you teach them to, to get into the habit of quickening their step, shortening their step and dropping down uh, later, like yeah. close to the, to the breakdown. And that would, that would probably take up the most of the conversations I'll be having this season. Yeah. Yeah. That's fair enough. Um, so something I'm pretty interested in, what do you think makes a really good jackler? And is there anything that maybe people wouldn't expect that makes like someone just incredible at jackling? I think there's, um, so the best jacklers I've seen, and we've got one, we've got two here, uh, two here at Quinn's and, and um, Lachlan Boshier at the Chiefs. They've had, they've got really good hip range, and so when they get into a jackal position, they're just so low to the ground. But in saying that, Richie McCall wasn't that low when he jackled. Um, but like probably the last, you know, Will Evans here at Quinns and Bosch here at the Chiefs, who were just notoriously good jacklers. Yeah, they could they could get into that that strong position um, physically really well. They were comfortable. Um, with their bum nearly dragging on the ground when they're in there. But it's a bit like I was talking about the breakdown. Ultimately, it's anticipation. It's anticipation and knowing where the breakdown is going to be. Uh, and actually putting some thought into that. How do you get more jackal attempts is probably better than going, how do I improve my jackal? Yeah. Do, you, do you think, do you think uh, the jackler is disappearing from rugby? Um, again, this is that com this is that conversation around the law, how they how they 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 vary it. I think some teams are more tactical with the with the jackal, so they don't they don't necessarily um send someone in on first phase or second phase. People are, are a little bit more tactical. But I also think people are counter-rucking more. So we we definitely counter-ruck more than we jackal. Mm. We leave our, our jacklers to just do what they do. But we would, across the board, coach just tackle um, counter-rucking because you're less likely to get penalised. It doesn't matter if you've got a poor skill set at it. You can actually you can do it pretty competently easily. So that would be, in my opinion, a more effective um, spend of your training time. Cool. Um, look, mate, I don't want to take up any more of your time. So thank you so much for that. It was really interesting. 